It's happening, it's happening, it's finally happening. The long-awaited day in which Jesus entered Jerusalem. The great multitudes of people were pressing in, crowds upon crowds, in the hundreds, if not the thousands, were surrounding the rabbi from Galilee. They'd heard the rumors. They'd heard the rumors that this man, this itinerant teacher, was healing the sick, healing the blind, the lame were now dancing, the the dumb are now speaking. The lepers are cleansed. Is this the one that's going to free us from the Romans? You have to remember the context here is the people of ancient Jerusalem and Judea were under Roman oppression. We have no idea what that means. That means one third of of the population was dead in the ground. That means most of your family members have been under oppression. The women had been raped. The children were now fatherless if their fathers had the courage to stand against Rome. It's in this backdrop, this history, that Jesus finds himself at the center of a great multitude and they're all shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Everyone has this expectation that Jesus is going to be the deliverer, the one like Moses, who will lead God's people into a new promised land, that he'll save us from the Romans, he'll deliver us. And, and, And so they take palm branches and they cut them off trees and they begin to wave them. You didn't know that the palm was the symbol of the zealots, did you? A zealot was somebody who was, who was resisting Rome. Think revolutionary. Think someone who's going against Rome. Every time that there's a, a Roman, a zealot is looking at him with a heart of hatred, waiting for the day that they would be kicked out of God's land. Remember, zealots believed that the land belonged to God and the Romans were outsiders, enemies of God. And so now Jesus' great multitude, it looks like an army. And they're all waving the symbol of revolution. It looks like a revolution. Everyone is excited. Everyone is flocking to Jerusalem. Everyone is waiting to hear what Jesus has to say. This great crowd, this great multitude, this great crowd looking for a political deliverer. Sound familiar? The crowd's got it wrong. And more than that, Jesus' own disciples got it wrong. Now this is where I'm like, I really want us to pay attention because if there's something that we need to know, it's that Judas and Peter were this close to Jesus. For three years, they attended the greatest Bible school in the history of Bible schools. They walked, talked, and ate, and lived with Jesus of Nazareth. In their culture, the greatest honor was to be asked by a rabbi to follow them. A rabbi, if he was inviting you to follow him and to be a rabbi, he would say, follow me. So Jesus has invited Judas and Peter into this lifestyle, into this small group, into this constant development. Judas and Peter heard every teaching that Jesus ever gave. Guess what? They heard teachings we didn't even know that are in here. They got all the extra stuff. Aren't you waiting for that day? I know I am. Not really because I can't really handle what I have now. Judas and Peter had a window in to the greatest education. They were called by Jesus as disciples. 
You know, Jesus had over 500 dedicated followers, and amongst that 500, there was 150 that were entrusted, and even amongst the 150, there were 70 that were designated to sent out to preach. And even among the 70, there were 12 apostles, 12 sent ones, 12 people that Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. I, I tell you, heal the sick, preach the gospel, cast out demons. Jesus had given this authority to the 12, and Judas and Peter are part of it. They were called by Jesus. It says here that their names were in the Lamb's book of life. It says that they were called God's sheep. They, they said that God was their father. It says that they had a throne. Jesus tells Judas that he had a throne in which he would judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Turn with your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to be reading verse 23. Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. When his disciples heard that, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? Then Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said, see, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? Wrong question. So Jesus said to him, assuredly I say to you that in the re regeneration when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Judas had a throne. Peter had a throne. There was a throne prepared for all those who would follow him. They were disciples of the Lord. They were told to pick up their cross and follow him. They even loved Jesus more than their own family. How is it possible to be so close to Jesus and miss it? How is it possible to be a disciple of Jesus and yet betray him? How is it possible that Jesus chose these men and looks at both of them independently on separate occasions and says, both of you are the devil? This causes me to examine myself. This causes me to examine my allegiance to Jesus. This causes me to examine myself to see whether I'm in the faith. Think about this. They both preached. They both healed. Have you ever thought of that? Judas Iscariot healed people. He laid hands on the sick and those people recovered. There's this one time the disciples said, even the demons listen to us, Jesus. And Jesus says, rejoice that your name is written in the book. How is it possible that they betrayed? This means there's no confidence for me in information. It's not just teaching. They heard the best teachings from the teacher of teachers. They heard every sermon. There's a Bible college in every state in our nation and our, and our country goes to hell. 
There's a gospel presentation on every radio, every television you have can tune into the gospel. The answer is not information. It's never information, it's always intimacy. Let not many of you become teachers. He who teaches will be under a stricter judgment. The answer is not just information, and the answer is not power either. And how do we go to this conference and that conference? And we're always looking to, to, to heap teachers onto the platform who have spiritual power. Judas healed the sick. Peter healed the sick. But they both betrayed. The answer is never par, power apart from intimacy. It's never information alone. It's never power alone. The answer, answer is an intimacy. Judas worked miracles. But hear me now. Every time, this is the wisdom of the passage, every time Judas addressed Jesus, it was always teacher. It was never Lord. Teacher, teacher. He never addressed him as Lord. He, he understood here but not here. The greatest distance in the world between heart and mind. Teaching and power can both be wrong. Jesus looks at our motives. He looks at our hearts. I see great, a great emphasis on the evangelical tradition of teaching. I see a great emphasis on the charismatic emphasis of power. It's not teaching or power. Neither one in isolation, apart from intimacy with Jesus. Jesus says simply, you are my friend if you do what I say. That keeps it simple for me. I want to be Jesus' friend. Now, many of us had bacon tacos for breakfast. Those were pretty good out in the lobby if you didn't get one. And so because of that, we're, we miss the Jewish context of this story. When a Jew reads this gospel for the first time, do you know who they put as the betrayer? Is it Judas or is it Peter? When a Jew reads it, it's Peter. Do you know why? The greatest honor to be called a, a, a disciple by a rabbi. 1% of the Jewish population, out of all the kids, only 1% gets to follow the rabbi. It's the highest honor. It's publicly unheard of in all of Jewish history for you to publicly disassociate with your rabbi. There's not even a context for that sin. And so for Peter, who we let off the hook, don't we? We always blame Judas. Anybody named Judas in here? I didn't think so. You might name your dog or your goat Judas, but you're... We always blame Judas, but Peter has the greatest betrayal. We miss it because we don't have a Jewish context. Three times, I do not know the man. I do not know the man. I do not know him. Are you kidding me? The greatest rabbi of all rabbis, you do not know him? Cowardice. The problem with Peter is he was a coward. There's no way around it. He was a coward. Cowardice plagues the church in America. We must remember in Revelation that it is the cowardly who do not inherit the kingdom. Right next to adulterer, right next to fornicator, right next to thief and liar, coward. 
we have to be very careful. Because in this society right now, friends, it is being orchestrated and designed in such a way for you to live under the approval and praise of men. Never before in the history of mankind has society orchestrated itself in such a way that the approval of men is constantly before your eyes. Like, share, subscribe. All of your hearts, all of your validations, all of your approvals. You're constantly evaluating yourself by others. You're constantly ever before your eyes. In the last days, they'll be lovers of themselves. So the self-promotion, self-thought, constant evaluation of self, and you don't realize that this is directly linking you to other people and their approval of you has, is beginning having more of an emphasis in your heart than ever before in the history of mankind. We are in a time where we're constantly, the buzzword is herd immunity. I'm worried about herd mentality. I see people shifting left and right just by what's popular, just by what's uh, uh, trending or what's going viral. We see the influence of individual upon individual is never stronger than right now. There's a hook in it, friends. There's a hook in it. Peter was a coward. He was willing to follow Jesus when it was popular, when it was trending up, when all signs point to yes, when it was good, when it was viral. He was willing to follow Jesus with the multitudes and the crowds and the feeding the 5,000. Everybody gets a lunchable. Everybody gets fed. It's awesome. He healed a blind man. Even better, put that on the front page. But when it got dark, when he had to follow alone in the darkness, when the threat of persecution comes, would you follow Jesus alone? Strike the shepherd and the sheep scatter. Could you not pray with me one hour, Peter? Just one hour. Just one hour, Peter. Just one hour. Are you sleeping again, Peter? One hour. Darkest night of his life, he's alone. All the crowds were gone, alone. Peter was a coward. If you're new here, welcome. <laughs> Peter was a coward, and now let's talk about the one whom Jesus says it would have been better for him not to have been born. So everybody take a breath. Judas wasn't, a, Judas wasn't a coward. I'll say that again. Judas wasn't a coward. He believed. He was absolutely committed to the wrong kingdom. He was a true believer. He was willing to suffer and die for his cause. But he was committed to the wrong kingdom. That's misplaced commitment. That's misguided zeal. Judas was a zealot. His name, Ishkarot. He was the man from Cariot. He was of the Cariot people, which was a known zealot community in the time. Now, zealots are revolutionaries. They're wanting to overthrow the Romans. If you want to know what the heart of a zealot is, it's do something. Do something, anything. Stop the Romans, whatever you have to. Cut the bridles of their horses when they're not looking so they can't ride. Steal their grain when they're not looking so they can't feed their armies. Do something, anything. Stop Rome. This was God's land. He promised it to us. Stop Rome. Do something. Politically overthrow. Revolutionary at heart. 
overcommitted to his own agenda. So there comes on the scene a Galilean who can heal your army, who can feed your army, who it doesn't matter that the Romans are more powerful because this rabbi can heal the dead. He can heal the sick. He can feed the army. Now you see Judas using Jesus for his agenda, for his ends. People always peg Judas as the one who who was a traitor, and yes, he was a traitor at heart, but he was the most committed. They gave him the money bag, folks. Do you give the money to the least committed member of your organization? No, you give it to the true believer. Can you see Judas on Palm Sunday? What do you think was in his heart? He's probably swelling with pride. Everyone's waving our symbol, Jesus. Everyone's joining our ranks. Can you see Jesus going into Jerusalem? All of these stones will be toppled down. Judas is like, yes, finally. Can you see Jesus saying, sell your cloak and buy a sword. Judas is like, I got two right now. Which one do you want, the big one? I got a spear too. You need a spear, Jesus? I got it. He's ready. He's ready. Judas begins to try to make it happen. He gets the religious leaders to put Jesus into a situation where Jesus has to use his power. To where he has to overthrow the Romans. He brings all of the religious temple guards out to try to force it to happen. Jesus is in the garden praying. The disciples are sleeping. Judas comes on the scene. Rabbi, Rabbi, hail Rabboni. Judas and Jesus kiss. And in this moment, Judas is thinking now, now's the moment, now's the time where he has to use his power. And they grab Jesus, and Peter pulls out his sword. And Peter attacks and cuts off the high priest's servant's ear. And the heart of Judas goes wild. Yes! This is the moment, the moment I've been waiting for. We're finally fighting. Jesus bends down, picks up the ear, And in true prophetic fashion, it's like he's saying, you were never listening. He heals Malchus. He looks at Judas one last time. Do you betray the son of man with a kiss? Do you betray me with a kiss? And then they beat Jesus. And Judas watches it. And Judas takes the money, throws it back. And he goes into the dark alone. Forever counting the coins of his costly kingdom. The whole time, with every strike, Judas is saying, do something. 
Why won't you do something? Jesus is before Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world. For if it were of this world, my servants would fight. Judas says, I surrendered innocent blood. Is there hope for a zealot? To be honest, I identify more with Judas than Peter. It's time to take up the offering. The other joke. <laughs> Jesus, bless what I'm doing. Jesus, bless my ministry. Jesus, bless my agenda. See that? Jesus bless my career. Jesus bless my ministry. My, my, what me, me, what I'm doing. I need you for what I'm doing so that you can bless what I'm doing. You don't realize that's the heart of Judas. Using Jesus for your end, whether it's your career or your aspiration, whether it be your business, whether it be your finances. Is there hope for a zealot? An interesting historical fact is that Romans would particularly not usually just crucify random Jews. They would save crucifixion for the zealots, for the revolutionaries. As a public statement, this is what happens when you oppose Rome. They would crucify you in public places so that the rest of the population would know that this man stood up against Rome. Jesus was crucified next to two zealots. And the only hope for a zealot is to learn to trust. You have one zealot mocking, still trusting in his own kingdom, mocking Jesus from the cross. The other one says, do you not fear God? We deserve what we got. This is important. Listen, this is the only hope for a zealot. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. The only hope for a zealot of heart is to realize that you must surrender your own kingdom to receive Christ's. Judas had control until the very end. Even control over how he would die. You must surrender. What is the hope for a coward? What is the hope for Peter? Love. Love. Three times. I do not know the man. I do not know the man. I do not know the man. Afraid of a kindergartner. What was the only hope for that? Love. When the rabbi rose from the dead in miraculous fashion, and if you want to know more about that, come next Sunday. But the first thing that Jesus did after the resurrection is he found Peter, who, remember, who was not with the 12, showed that he had forsaken even his brothers. And he asked some three questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? 
The only hope for a coward's heart is love. Peter, in obedience to Christ's command, waits in Jerusalem. In his heart, as the scriptures described, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul calls it a baptism of love. The love of God was poured out in his heart, and Peter, in the day of Pentecost, went out into the streets, going to the exact place and location where he had denied the Lord, now proclaims the Lord to the great multitudes. His heart was filled with love. The coward found his courage through the love of God in his heart, and he begins to preach the gospel, and the people come under conviction. He says, you with wicked hands have crucified the Lord in glory. Now, I thought he was scared of kindergartners. No, his heart was filled with love. But God has raised him up and made him both Lord and Christ. And the people cry out, what must we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins. And you shall receive the gift that the Father has promised, this baptism of love. Love was the answer for the coward's heart. But we're living in a time and we're living in an age where I see few so ready to walk alone. I see few so willing and ready to go against the crowd. Jesus says, woe to you if all men speak well. It takes a living thing to go against the stream. Only dead things go downstream. 